Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. I am buzzing today, you guys. This has been such an exciting last couple of days. I just spent my morning as a guest on another podcast that is going to be coming out at the end of March. I was on the Wild Woman Hotline with Tristan Thibodeau, and we were talking all about just being authentic, the difficulty of running a business when you're in a, I don't know, a space that is controversial and how do you get over what people think and how do you move forward? And one of the big topics that came up is actually the topic of today's podcast. I've been planning this for several weeks now, and it just kind of perfect synchronicity. Today, we're talking about self-trust. And this is a huge issue, you guys. My main focus as a religious transition and trauma recovery coach is to help people slough off the pseudo-identity from our high-demand religions, to slough off the limiting beliefs, to slough off the things that are no longer serving us, and to root into who we authentically are to learn to accept ourselves and love ourselves and to trust ourselves. Because from this place of self-acceptance and love and trust, something beautiful happens. First of all, we're gentler with ourselves and we're better able to learn and grow and expand and become who we want to be and to get the lives that we crave. But something else beautiful happens when we're really able to love and trust ourselves is that we're better able to love and trust other people in our lives. You guys, this is key to really creating deep bonds with our spouses and with our kids with our parents if they're willing, with our siblings, anyone who's willing to engage in a relationship with us, when we trust ourselves, we're better able to connect with others and to love others and to create safe spaces for people to be authentic with us. We become safer allies for minorities in our society and for people who've been marginalized. Whenever we love and trust ourselves, we can be accountable for mistakes with a lot less shame and we're able to move forward and actually look at the ways that maybe we might be causing harm, you know, in the world or in our lives. So this is a huge thing, you guys, to be able to trust ourselves means to be able to grow and to be able to learn and to be able to connect. And for many of us, I don't know if you guys are like me, but for many of us, when we leave high demand religion, Trust is something that's shaky. We're not sure we can trust others because we realize that we've been living in large part a big lie. We're not sure if we can trust ourselves because we bought into that and we didn't realize we were living a lie. We may not feel like we can trust others because maybe we get betrayed by people that we thought we were close to. Maybe people choose the organization over us and it hurts deeply. And there may be this temptation to 
simply put ourselves into a concrete silo emotionally and just never connect with anyone again. But deep inside of us, we long to feel good about ourselves and we long to connect with other people because as humans, we are wired to connect. We are wired for relationship. We are wired to care for and love one another. We're wired for these things. And when those attachment needs aren't met, that's when stuff starts getting crazy. That's when we start seeing people act in ways that are harmful. When those needs aren't being met and we're scared. When we're afraid. When we're ashamed. We, we work from these places that are maybe harmful. And so learning to love and trust ourselves allows us to move through that fear and through that shame so that we can show up as our best, most centered, most loving, most kind selves and our most connected selves, which is something I think we all deeply want. Okay, so before we get into how to build self-trust, let's really talk about where self-trust is a little shaky. What erodes self-trust? So we erode self-trust when we regularly practice self-abandonment. What is self-abandonment? Self-abandonment is any time we act in a way that contradicts our values. And for those of us who have been in high-demand religion, we were taught to set aside our own beliefs, our own values, our own intuition in lieu of whatever we were told was quote-unquote right by the leaders or by whoever was speaking for God, right? Whether it's the scripture or whether it's our prophet or our pastor or our preacher or our priest or our parents teaching us the things that they believe that God is telling us, we were taught to subvert our own knowing and our own value system in lieu of someone who is teaching us the quote unquote right way to be. And I will, I know there are people that are going to be like, no, I was never taught not to listen to myself, but like, let's just go straight to the scriptures really quick. I love doing this. In Proverbs 3, 5, for instance, we hear, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. How many times did we hear a sermon or a talk talking about not listening to our own wisdom, but listening to the wisdom of the Lord? In layman's terms, non-King James version of the Bible terms, what we're hearing is don't listen to your own intuition. Subvert that and do what the Lord tells you as referenced by the Bible or as taught to us by your, your pastor or your parents, right? So this is one of the messages Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Another message about don't trust yourself. 2 Corinthians 1, 9, indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in the Lord who raises the dead. Another scripture about don't trust yourself. You are weak and human, and fallible. Don't trust yourself. Trust the Lord. We have, I mean, even in the Genesis story of Adam and Eve, 
The serpent tempts Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, which was the knowledge of good and evil. And it says in Genesis 3, 6, it was to be desired to make one wise. And so we have Satan that's tempting Adam and Eve with wisdom and knowing what's right and wrong for themselves. This is just a really covert way of saying your own knowledge comes from Satan. And I know there are some theologians who are listening to this that will disagree with me, and that's okay, but there are many theologians that would agree. And it really depends on what messages you received and what interpretations you got about the Bible. If you grew up Mormon, you probably remember 2 Nephi 9, 28 through 29. You guys had to memorize this in early morning seminary. For those of you who are not Mormon, when I turned 14, so my entire high school years, I woke up at the crack of dawn at 5, 5.30 in the morning so I could get ready, which we all know for a teenager takes a while. Even as a sort of a tomboy teenager, I still at least like, you know, put on a little makeup and put on a little bit of mascara. I was a mascara and lip gloss girl, so I at least had to do that. I usually curled my hair because I walked this strange line between tomboy who didn't really care about appearance and girl on the cheer squad that did care about my appearance. And I was this strange amalgamation of like masculine and feminine. And I still am, but I've learned to walk that a little bit better. But I still needed time to get ready. I had to choose my outfit. I had to choose all these things. So I'd wake up at 5, 5.30 in the morning, do the whole teenage girl thing, getting ready because, you know, there are boys to, boys to attract, you know, boys to flirt with. So did that whole thing. And then I would go to early morning seminary, Monday through Friday, every day before my zero period of high school. I was at the church taking in scripture, reading and memorizing scripture, talking about what the scriptures meant, and really just immersing myself in Mormon doctrination. And we would rotate between the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants well, and the Pearl of Great Price, which are the three Mormon-specific scriptures, and then also the New Testament and the Old Testament. So there are several scriptures that I can quote verbatim because I you got prizes. You got, you know, we had these scripture chases where you had to be able to flip to scriptures really quickly and memorize them and be able to say them. And so I, being the competitive person that I am, got very, very good, and I memorized all of the scriptures. And so let's just recite this one from memory, shall we? Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one. Oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men. For when they are learned, they think they are wise and they hearken not to the counsels of God. For they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness. And it profiteth them not. And they shall perish. But to be learned is good if they hearken to the counsels of God. What did you hear in that scripture? Because I'll tell you what I heard even as a teenager. It is not okay to listen to yourself and to listen to your own wisdom and your own understanding. And if your own wisdom and your own understanding don't line up with God's or what the prophets or your bishop or your parents tell you is God's understanding, you're out of line and you need to correct yourself and bring yourself in line. 
These are so many ways that we regularly practice self-abandonment. We discard our personal wisdom. We discard our inner knowing. We discard our intuition in deference to other people's interpretations of what God wants for us. And when I say other people's interpretations, I'm also including the Bible because the Bible is God's word written through men. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, all of it is written through a person's perspective. We're getting their bias and their life experience in the telling of the Christ story in the telling of their understanding of God. And so we're told, subvert yourself and listen to typically men's version of what God wants for you. Listen to their bias and their understanding and their wisdom and put away yours. And when we do this over time, over and over and over again, especially when we're hearing hate speech about different races or about the LGBTQ community or about women, or we're hearing about our inherent sinfulness and wickedness and unworthiness. When we take in these messages and there's part of us that revolts against it and says, no, that's not right, but we hide it and we stuff it in order to bring ourselves in alignment with what the Bible says, or with what our preacher says, or with what our prophet says. We are practicing self-abandonment, and it makes sense that over time we would lose the ability to trust ourselves. It's very much like a relationship in which one partner continually doesn't show up, and one partner continually betrays the other. Over time, you lose trust in that person. The bad news is, is that feels awful and you really have a hard time relating with or connecting with that person. Some of you may be in that space with yourself right now where you really have a hard time relating with or even finding that person. But the good news is with work, with some healing, we can create trust in those relationships again. We build trust with ourselves the same way we build trust with another human being. Some of the things we do is we go through hard things together and we find out that if we can survive it, that we can survive whatever else comes next. So let me give you a story from my life. I have some pretty interesting attachment issues from my childhood. I don't know my birth father and I have some deep-seated early childhood abandonment stories that I am constantly having to work on. And this story, I've looked for evidence of it throughout my life. I no longer look for evidence of it, but early in my marriage, I was terrified that my husband would find out who I really was. Remember, my trifecta is please perform perfect. I would please perform perfect so that people would need me so much that they wouldn't abandon me. I would please perform perfect so that people would love me and adore me so much that they wouldn't abandon me. And it's really easy to please perform and perfect when you're dating. But suddenly when you're married and you're living in the same house and you're sharing the same space, you become very human to the person you're sharing your life with and 
that happened. And I was terrified every time I would lose my cool or get angry or looked less than perfect or performed less than perfect in bed or just in life or whatever, that because my perfectionism mask was off, that I would disappoint my husband and he would leave me. Granted, he gave me no indication that this was the truth, but this was my story. And in some ways, I was almost creating an environment that would make this likely. I would push him away whenever I would mess up and I would I would just do all kinds of things that would make it really difficult for him to relate with me, make it difficult for him to connect with me because I believed I deserved punishment. I believed I deserved abandonment. So I almost encouraged him to do those things. Luckily, I was with a guy that didn't buy into it, but it was difficult for him. What happened is, as you all know, when I turned 30, I was diagnosed with clinical depression and things got very, very dark and I had to get very real with myself and I started going to therapy. My husband was deployed a lot. Kevin was deployed a lot and I was certain this was going to be the moment where he realized how broken and ugly and not enough I was underneath my perfectionistic mask and that he would realize really and truly I guess, how how cheated he had been in marrying me. For those of you who are hearing this, I know there are many of you who know this not enough story, this perfectionism story, this people-pleasing story where we're so afraid that people are going to see our flaws and that they'll abandon us and that they will not be able to tolerate our humanity. And I just knew that because it had gotten so dark and so scary for me, And I could no longer be this strong, perfect person, this strong, perfect wife and mom that he had come to rely on, that he was going to leave. I was just, I, I was convinced of it. And yet, what happened is he had never been there for me more solidly. He stuck by me, and he continued to reassure me that he was there, thick or thin, happy or sad, healthy or sick, however I was feeling, he had made promises to me and he loved me. Whatever version of me was happening at the moment, that he loved me. And I think there was something really beautiful about that experience and it built trust. I remember thinking in my head, if he can love me at my lowest, if he can love me with greasy hair in week and a half old pajamas that I haven't changed, If he can love me when I just don't have it in me to show up, if he can love me when I feel like I'm letting all of my responsibilities fall to the floor, then he can love me through anything and he'll be here through anything. And it was a huge turning point in our marriage for me because I realized I could trust him with all of myself, not just the happy, beautiful parts, but I could trust him with my trauma. I could trust him with my ugly thoughts. I could trust him with my insecurities. And he wasn't going anywhere. And it changed. It changed the trust in our marriage to a point where we are able to talk about anything now. We're able to talk about things we're deeply ashamed of. We're able to talk about things we're deeply afraid of. We're able to talk about things that annoy the hell out of us. 
we're able to talk about things that frustrate us or anger us. I no longer feel like I have to be perfect and perfectly put together to be lovable and desirable because during that time of hardship, he showed up for me and he didn't go anywhere. And him being there during my darkest moment, and that was my darkest moment, not leaving the church. Leaving the church was hard. Going through clinical depression was the scariest thing I had ever done. Leaving the church was a little less difficult for me because Kevin had already proven that no matter what, he was going to be by my side. No matter what, he was going to love me completely. And it made leaving the church a lot less scary. Now, I know a lot of you maybe haven't gone through something like that. And as you go through your faith transition, this is your moment to really find out, can I trust my spouse? Will we be there for one another? Is this something we can weather together? And that's probably a conversation for another time. And definitely use the last four episodes of the podcast with Kevin as a way to have those difficult conversations and to begin to build trust with one another. But I tell you that story about us because I learned something important about trust, which was when we go through hard things and we find that the other person has our back and that we can weather them together, it builds this deep abiding trust that we can weather anything. And the same is true for building self-trust with ourselves. When we go through something hard, like a faith transition, and we notice, hey, I'm surviving. I'm doing hard things. I'm healing. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm not perfect at it by any means. And sometimes it's ugly and messy, but it makes sense. The way I'm reacting makes sense. And I am worthy of love and belonging, even as I do this imperfectly. When we stand by ourselves in that way, and we weather the really difficult things of life, and we get through them, we begin to trust that we can get through anything. That if we can get through the hardest thing we've ever been through, that we'll get through whatever else comes our way in life. And it is one of the first steps we have towards building self-trust. And you're right in the midst of it. If you can be there with yourself, if you can show yourself, look, I'm not abandoning you. We're not giving up. I'm here with you. We're going to figure this out together. I'm not going anywhere. You're my person and you matter to me. And when I have these conversations, you guys, I often, I often visualize that I'm talking to my inner child. Most of our trauma happened to us as little children or as teenagers or young adults. I imagine I'm talking to someone my kid's age and I sit down with them. I sit down with her inside of my mind and I think of how scary it would be to deal with some of these things at 8 or 10 or 13 and how much it makes sense that I have the coping mechanisms that I do because they help me survive. I couldn't have left home and taken care of myself at 8 years old or 10 years old or 13, the world's worst year. I couldn't have done that. And so I created coping mechanisms in order to get my needs met. And it worked for a while. Here I am. I survived. And I'm so grateful to that little girl for what she did to help me survive and get my needs met and get to this place. And 
those eight-year-old coping mechanisms, the 13-year-old coping mechanisms, hell, even my 25-year-old coping mechanisms no longer serve me at 41. And so I think that younger version of me, I recognize her pain. I recognize why she created the coping skills that she did. I validate that. I validate her feelings about it. And I let her know, I'm not abandoning you. We're still in this together. And we're going to learn and we're going to grow through this together. So I am there for my inner child, for my younger version of myself. And as I do, I build trust with myself. And I know that if I can get through this hard thing, I'll get through the next hard thing and any other hard thing that comes. In a nutshell, what trust is, what self-trust is, is whatever comes my way, I'll be able to handle it. And that's how we build this. We go through hard things together and we realize I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was. I'm not going to abandon myself. I'm going to figure this out. I'm capable of learning and growth. And as we do that, we recognize I'm handling this. And I now know that whatever comes my way, I'll be able to handle it too. So we build self-trust as we go through these hard things. I want to talk really quick about some of the things that get in the way of building self-trust. There's two main things. The first one is our truth was made wrong by the culture, meaning our family, our religion, our peer group, or our society that we were raised in. So we talked about really standing with our inner child. This is what we're talking about. Our inner child's truth was made wrong. And maybe it was made wrong because we felt more empathy and compassion for people than our religion allowed. Maybe it was made wrong because we were much more assertive than we were supposed to be. Maybe it was made wrong because we were very intellectual and we thought about things logically and the mysticism didn't make sense to us. Or maybe we recognized that we were same-sex attracted or that we were gender fluid or... Maybe we recognized, wait, my skin color or my gender isn't as appreciated here, and that doesn't feel like what a loving God would do. Maybe you recognize you were mentally ill and that either mental illness was frowned upon or made you feel deficient in your religion of origin or that you were somehow being held responsible for your mental illness being told that you were sinning and that just didn't make sense to you. So For whatever reason, our truth was made wrong by the culture. And when I say culture, I do mean how we experienced religion in our family, how we got these messages from our religion. And if you're here in the United States, fundamentalist Christianity is woven throughout our entire society. We pick it up at school, even though school is supposed to be secularized. We pick it up in our justice system. We pick it up in our political system. We pick it up all over the place. It's even woven throughout behavioral sciences. As I'm writing my book, I'm noticing that the research that has been done still has bias. It has religious bias. There's a bias that in order to be healthy humans, we must believe in a God. And that doesn't feel true to me. Or that... In order to remain decent humans, we need religion. And that doesn't feel true to me either. That hasn't been my experience. That hasn't been what I've been observing in other people and in my clients. And so I'm starting to notice this 
Christianity, this this fundamentalist Christianity is woven through everything, whether we're secular or religious. And so our truth can be made wrong even if we grew up atheist. Even if we grew up secular humanist in America, our truth about our gender, our skin color, our sexuality, our roles, what we need to be happy can all be skewed by human bias. And I mean, even as you're listening to me, obviously I have bias. But here's the cool thing is when there's not a right bias, we get to consider everyone's truth and decide what is true for us. So for so long, for the entire history of the United States, religion has been the only truth. And I'm starting to recognize that my truth may be biased, but it's necessary for us to arrive at something that is tolerant and kind for all of us. I'm sure there are theologians that will listen to this and say, you're absolutely wrong. You misunderstood. And that may be so. And yet it was still my experience. And we need to take that into account so that we can make things healthier. We can make religion a healthier experience. We can make society a healthier experience because when our truth is made wrong by the culture, we develop a lack of self-trust. And when we can't trust ourselves, all kinds of chaos breaks out. The second thing that can get in the way of self-trust is we're simply in the habit of going against what our hearts have to say to us because the truth is viewed as inconvenient. And how many of you experienced that when you started having cognitive dissonance? So not only does the culture say your truth is wrong, but also we do that to ourselves where we say, you know what, I'm not going to listen to my heart because if I listen to my heart, that could be really inconvenient. There were months where I knew that my truth was different than what I was choosing to live. That what I believed and what felt right for me and for my life was going to be incredibly inconvenient because it was going to create waves in my relationships with my family. It was going to create waves in my relationship with my religious community. And honestly, before I decided to do this work, There were times where I tried to like go around my truth because it was going to be inconvenient to own the fact that I think that there is harm in religion sometimes. The fact that there are people that are traumatized by religion and we're not talking about it. And I feel so passionately about it that I'm going to talk about it. That was a very inconvenient truth. And so I ignored it and I talked about self-worth for a while and I talked about perfectionism and people-pleasing because no one gets mad at you when you talk about perfectionism and people-pleasing and self-worth. But when you start linking those things to religious trauma, then people have things to say and they get a little upset. So this can also be a way that we hurt our self-trust is we recognize that living our truth will be inconvenient. And we try to find ways around that that are less vulnerable. The next thing we're going to do is we want to treat ourselves the way we would a beloved. Now, for many of us, for years and years, maybe we've treated ourselves like somebody that we hate. Or we've treated ourselves like somebody who's not worth attention. Or we've felt like it's vain or selfish to love who we are. But the most interesting truth I've found in all of my work is the more we love ourselves, the less we show up in the world as selfish beings because 
when we're being selfish, we're asking other people to fill the void inside of us. We're asking other people to build us up with their words and their actions. We are demanding time. We're demanding attention. We're demanding validation. We're demanding service to make ourselves feel important. But when we can do that for ourselves, when we can love ourselves, we don't need that outer validation as much. We don't need other people to fill the hole because there is no hole. We've filled it. We are whole in and of ourselves. And from that place, it is so much easier to feel compassion and empathy for other people. It is so much easier to see the humanity and the goodness in other people. It is so much easier to reach out with love and concern for other people in ways that also feel good to us. We no longer sacrifice ourselves to the detriment of ourselves. We check in. And ask, is this how I want to show up? Does this align with my values? Is this what I feel like I want to be doing and what feels right to me in the moment? And when we come from that place, we do so much more impassioned service and we lift in ways that are actually meaningful to us instead of just burning the candle at both ends and showing up however other people need us to show up. We show up in ways that are meaningful to the person we're serving, but also meaningful to us. And it is beautiful when we have that mutually beneficial service going on, but that can only come from a place of self-love and self-trust. The other thing I want to bring up is that building self-trust takes time. We've spent however many years abandoning ourselves and listening to other people. Kevin, in you know previous, previous episodes, talked about emotional muscle memory, and I often talk about neural pathways. We've developed these patterns and ways of being. We don't just snap our fingers and completely love and trust ourselves overnight. It's going to be a practice. And... It's going to be something that we get a little bit better at every single time we show up for ourselves. Every time you take a pause and you think to yourself, is this something I really want to do before you commit to do it? That builds self-trust. Every time you recognize that you're not in a safe place and you take action to keep yourself safe, that builds self-trust. Every time you recognize when you're not showing up for yourself, And you hold yourself in that space and figure out what's going on and make a new plan to help you show up for yourself in the way that would make you feel good. That builds self-trust. But it takes time to develop these new habits and these new ways of being. So here are some solid steps. We've talked a lot about what broke down our self-trust and we've talked about like a, a couple of key points that really do build trust, but I want to like really root in what are some steps you can take to start treating yourself like a beloved. The first one is spend time with yourself. So many of us numb. We get busy as a way to numb our emotions so we don't have to sit in the quiet with ourselves or we get drunk or we get high or we go on a sex spree and we we get lost in physical feelings instead of emotional feelings. 
we get lost in TV or Facebook or something. We do something that numbs or keeps us busy and keeps our mind off the fact that our bodies have emotions we need to feel and we have things that we need to work out. So just notice, get curious with yourself. If you find yourself staying incredibly busy or doing some other activity to numb, you're going to need to take time with yourself to listen to yourself with curiosity. For some people, they find this in meditation. When I very first got out, meditation was very difficult for me because I was so uncomfortable being in my body. Journaling was easier. It gave my hand something to do. It gave my mind something to connect with. That was really helpful in order to get in touch with what I was actually feeling. Spending some quality time with yourself without being busy or numbing in some other way and just asking yourself curiosity questions. What am I feeling right now? Why am I feeling that? What thought is creating that feeling? Notice when you're doing menial tasks like stirring the spaghetti pot at night or washing dishes or vacuuming the floor or gardening or running or driving, what things come to mind? Do you have any thoughts on repeat? Any hurts that keep coming up? Any regrets that keep coming up? Any worries or fears? Those are some great things to get curious with yourself about. Why am I afraid of this? Or why does this keep coming up for me? What is my body trying to tell me about this? What is my intuition trying to tell me about this? What is my inner child trying to tell me about this? Just get curious with yourself. That's step one. Step two, listen to yourself non-judgmentally. There's no way you should feel. There's no bad feelings. There's no wrong way to think. Just get curious. What is your perspective? This is what you would do if you were dating someone you were really into, right? You would want to know all about them and you would listen non-judgmentally. You would listen with curiosity, with an openness to just get to know them. This is what you're doing with yourself as well. Next, feel your feelings and validate them. Your feelings hold so much wisdom. If you don't know how to feel your feelings, please go back to episode two. Feel your feelings. Allow yourself to recognize that you're feeling something. Get curious about what it feels like. Do you notice what do you notice in your head, in your neck, in your shoulders, your arms, your belly, your throat, your legs, your feet? What's going on for you physiologically? If you have a a great imagination, What does this feeling feel like? Is it sharp and jagged or is it smooth? Is it heavy or is it light? Is it, you know, prickly or is it uncomfortable? What color is it? What shape is it? Get descriptive. Can you give the feeling a name? What is the name of the feeling? Really allow yourself to just notice and remember you are not your feelings. You're simply a third-party observer to your feelings. And allow yourself to just notice what is here. Acknowledge what is there and validate it. You're feeling something for a reason. We don't have any feelings that don't serve a purpose. If you're feeling anger, it's not like anger just snuck in uninvited and there's no reason for it to be there. Anger is never a party crasher. 
It's there for a reason. Get curious with it. Allow yourself to notice if you feel fear about getting curious with it and acknowledge that too. Whenever we're doing something new and if this is the first time you're actually recognizing your feelings and validating them, of course it's going to be scary. Of course. That makes sense. Recognize the fear and validate it. Of course you're here. You're welcome here. This is new and scary. I get it. I see you. And I have your back. You guys, if fear shows up, fear is just there to keep you safe. And fear is saying, feeling this feeling stuff is scary. I mean, what if we unearth something that we can't handle? And so listening to the fear and hearing, okay, I hear you say that you're worried that we're going to be unsafe if we unearth something that we can't handle. And sit for a minute and just say, what do you need to feel safe, fear? What do you need to feel safe? Do you need a plan of what we're going to do to keep ourselves safe? Okay, let's create a plan. Do you just need to be heard and validated that this could possibly be unsafe? Okay, I see you and I validate you. And you're welcome to stay here. So notice if you're feeling fear about feeling your feelings. That's okay. Or you may be feeling shame about your feelings like, I shouldn't be feeling this. This is not okay to feel. This means I'm a bad person. Notice that as well. Your shame is simply showing you where you've been conditioned to not feel feelings or to be ashamed of your feelings. Recognize it. It's okay to recognize it and be like, I see you. And I see that you're feeling bad about feeling these things. Hold that thought for a bit. I really am curious about what I'm feeling. And I just want to see why. I want to see why I'm feeling it. It's okay. Just notice if you're feeling things about feeling feelings. That's perfectly normal. You're not crazy. When we've been conditioned and indoctrinated that our feelings are dangerous, it can be really difficult to break that. But just noticing it gets you in a step in the right direction. Next, notice when you're able to solve and work through your problems. This goes back to earlier in the episode. Take time at least once a week daily if possible, to recognize what you're doing right. Recognize where you're showing up. If you were building a relationship with another person of trust, you would want to recognize where the person is doing a good job or where they've made positive changes because we want to encourage more of those positive changes, right? So recognize you work through that problem on your own. I see you. We're capable. Good job. Recognize the small steps forward that you're taking. I find journaling is really helpful with this to write down where I'm at and what I'm working on. And sometimes when I feel like I'm not making any progress, I can go back a year, I can go back three years, and I can look at where I'm at and see how far I've come. This is so helpful whenever you are feeling like you're just not making breakthroughs to recognize actually you are, and it's just a process. And you've come so far in the process. You may not have arrived completely, but you have come so far. It's so important to have those records of where you were so that you can compare. So I highly recommend journal keeping or voice journaling. Voice journaling works as well. You can put recordings on your your phone in the voice memo, and those work just as well. And then last, to end this episode, I really want to talk about the seven ingredients of trust that Brene Brown talks about in her Braving the Wilderness book. She talks about it from a braving acronym, 
but really what they are is they're ingredients to trust. And we use these ingredients as a way to pinpoint where trust is broken down with another person, but also where it's broken down with ourselves and where we can work to build more trust with ourselves. So let's just go through these really quickly and you can kind of get curious with yourself. These can be some of those curiosity questions that you ask yourself. You know, do I have boundaries? Am I being reliable? All of these things. So here are the ingredients and you can get curious with them and find out where you might have problems with trust with yourself. But also this is a great thing to use to figure out where you might not be feeling safe with another person as well. So instead of just going to them and being like, I don't trust you, whenever we go to someone and we say, I don't trust you, people take it as a personal attack on their character and they they feel bad about that. So instead of doing that, it's sometimes so helpful to say, hey, whenever I set boundaries, it feels like you're not respecting my boundaries. That's something I feel like we could work on in order to make our relationship safer. Or, hey, whenever I tell you information that is confidential, it really makes me feel unsafe whenever I find out that you have shared it with other people. Or when you share other people's confidential information with me. Or, hey, it often feels like you jump to the worst assumption about me and that makes me feel unsafe. I really wish that you would work on having the most generous assumption possible about me so that we can work from a place of you think I'm a good person and I've hurt you versus I'm an awful evil person and I've hurt you. So let's go through these ingredients. The first one is boundaries. Boundaries are basically I know what is okay with me and is not okay with me, and I communicate that clearly to you. If we want to have a trusting relationship, you're going to respect what is and isn't okay with me. You're not going to purposely do things that are not okay with me and make me feel unsafe. And I do the same for you. All of these have to be mutual two-way things, right? The other thing about boundaries is that we build self-trust with ourselves when we set boundaries and when someone crosses them, we do what we have to do to keep ourselves safe. We stay on our side. Instead of just making the other person comfortable, we create a plan of how we're going to keep ourselves safe. If, for instance, let's say in your faith transition, it's Christmas time and you say, you know, I really want to come and see you. I would love to connect with you. I'm really not comfortable going to church. I'm not comfortable having the nativity scene. I don't want to be a part of the nativity scene. And I'd really not like the missionaries to come over for dinner. That just right now is not safe for me. And if you go to the house and you find out, actually, mom invited the missionaries over for dinner, surprise, and you're being coerced or expected to be a part of the family nativity scene or your parents have laid out church clothes for you and are expecting you to go to church, that you have the right to keep yourself safe. You can excuse yourself from the dinner table. You can say, it's so nice to see you. I know you're going to love my mom's cooking. I'm going to head out and I'm going to go get a burger, but you guys enjoy your visit with my parents. It's not about guilting the other person. It's about letting them know you can do what you need to do or want to do, but I'm going to keep me safe. And so you guys enjoy your visit. Mom's cooking's amazing. I'm going to head over to the burger joint or I'm going to go visit a friend while you guys do this. So have fun. We'll see you in a bit. Mom, I'll be back tonight later, okay? It could be, you know, just saying, I'm going to go out for a bit while you guys finish the nativity. I'll be in soon. You might not even need to say anything. 
but make sure you communicate your boundaries clearly beforehand because it's not fair to expect people to read our minds, right? So often we do that with boundaries is we'll say, you know, this is what's okay and this is what's not okay. And they should know me well enough as my family to know what my boundaries are. No, they don't. They have different boundaries than you. So communicate clearly. This makes me uncomfortable. I'd rather this doesn't happen anymore. And then because our boundaries will be tested, have a plan for how you're going to keep yourself safe. And if it's not that big of a deal to you, don't set a boundary around it. But if it is, set a boundary and hold it. And you can do it very gently and very kindly in a way that doesn't create a lot of waves. Well, does that mean that other people are going to like it? No, it doesn't. Sometimes people are going to get really upset. They're used to interacting with you in a certain way. But over time, if you continue to show up in a way that makes sense to you and keeps you safe, over time, people will learn to respect your boundaries. Or they will usher themselves out of your life. And that is one of the things that we have to understand is if people can't deal with our boundaries that often they will exit out of our lives simply because it's no longer comfortable for them and they're no longer getting from us what they need so boundaries is a huge one as we keep our boundaries and as we protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe we build trust with ourselves our inner child is like yes i get it you're gonna have my back i have an adult on my side now adult you is going to take care of child me so yeah big big deal The next ingredient of trust is reliability. Reliability in a nutshell is I can trust that you're going to show up in the way that you say you're going to show up. I can trust that you're going to do what you say you're going to do and be what you say you're going to be. I can trust that you're not going to take on more than you can handle, that you're going to know your limits. You're not going to overpromise and underdeliver. You're going to know what you can do and what you can't do, and you're going to communicate that clearly. This is also true for building trust with ourselves. So often we abandon trust or we create distrust with ourselves because we don't show up for ourselves the way we say we're going to show up. And if this is happening over and over again, often there's a limiting belief in the background. There's some sort of limiting story. This happens a lot I see with my clients who are also working on weight loss or my clients who are also working on setting boundaries with their family. They might say, you know, I'm going to do this. And then they don't show up for themselves. They, they might say, this is my boundary. If my boundary gets crossed, this is going to be my plan. They have their plan to keep themselves safe. But when it comes down to it, they choose to people please instead of hold their boundary and keep themselves safe. And so this is just something to get curious about. Whenever you notice that you're being unreliable with yourself and you can't trust yourself to do what you say you're going to do, get curious. What is holding me back? Again, it comes down to those curiosity questions and listening without judgment. What is holding me back? Why am I not showing up for myself? What is going on that's hijacking the process? What's the story I'm telling myself? And you guys, this is really where a coach or a therapist really does come into play because sometimes we're so used to our story and we're so used to our limiting beliefs, we cannot spot them just with curiosity questions. So if you're able to do it on your own, you are amazing. That is awesome. Continue on. If this podcast is feeding you and helping you get the tools you need to do this on your own, that is fantastic. That's exactly what this podcast is for. But if you're wondering, do I need coaching or do I need therapy? 
if you're finding that even with the podcast information, you're having a hard time really getting to the root of your problems and you keep having the same problems over and over again or self-trust just isn't happening, please invest in yourself. That is another way you can build self-trust. Please invest in yourself and reach out to a coach or a therapist to help you pinpoint these things that are keeping you from showing up that you would like to show up for yourself. Okay, number three, the third thing is accountability. All of us are typically good people, but that doesn't mean we don't sometimes harm each other, accidentally or on purpose. We are usually a mix of good and harm. And most of the time the harm is not on purpose, but sometimes it is. When we were in high demand religion, we like to think of things in binary terms, good versus evil, right versus wrong. But the fact of the matter is really we're all just a big paradox, right? We're kind of a little of both. And so I might be typically a good person with a good heart and I can do things that are hurtful. Being able to be accountable means recognizing the harm we do and making amends for it. And if we're going to build a trusting relationship with anyone, including ourselves, not only do we have to recognize, oh my gosh, I made a mistake, I caused harm, let me make amends, we also have to be able to accept apologies. So we have to be able to accept apologies, we have to be able to give apologies. If we're a person that's like, nope, you harmed me, you wronged me, no other chances for you, you get no chances to apologize or make amends, that's also not going to build trust, right? We need the same with ourselves. We need to be able to recognize that we did harm, but we also need to recognize that we had good intentions and that they probably just went awry. So we need to be able to give apologies and recognize the wrong, but we also need to be able to be gentle with ourselves and to be gentle with other people who've harmed us, right? Absolutely clear and honest, but gentle and empathic. The next one is the vault, you guys, and this is a huge one in building trust. And that just means I'm not going to share information with others that you share with me that is not mine to share. If you're telling me confidential information, that stays in the vault. It's not something I share. I can trust that you will keep my confidences. Now, we prove this to each other, first of all, by keeping each other's confidences, but also keeping the confidences of others. And I know you guys know what I'm talking about. So often when we're with people, we try to quickly bond by sharing juicy gossip about other people. Oh my gosh, did you hear about so-and-so or whatever? And it's like a way to distract ourselves. We can talk about these things that feel intimate without really having to talk about vulnerable or intimate things between ourselves. And so it's kind of a quick, easy, cheap way for us to build this feeling of intimacy between us. But simultaneously, we are harming the trust levels in our relationship. Because if you're telling me about something that happened with your best friend that is not yours to tell, or you're telling me about something with your son-in-law or something with your, you know, son or your daughter, and it's not yours to tell, then guess what? I'm going to be a little bit more wary about sharing my vulnerable stuff with you because I understand that if you're telling me their stuff, the chances are you might tell other people my stuff as well and vice versa, right? Where this comes with self-trust is really recognizing too, some of us grew up 
thinking that self-disclosure is something we needed to do all the time. You do not have to disclose everything. We think we're being vulnerable, but actually what we're doing is we're just trying to protect ourselves because if we judge ourselves first, if we admit our weaknesses first, if we talk about the things that we're bad at first, then no one else can judge us for it. Really being aware of the things that you're sharing, your confidences, the things that are important and precious and vulnerable to you. And am I sharing this because I really feel connected and close and safe here? Or am I sharing it as a way to self-protect and as a way to put myself down before you can put me down? We don't want to do that to ourselves. We don't want to do it to other people. It, it destroys trust. The next thing is integrity. And integrity is I am going to stay in alignment with my values at all times, even when it's uncomfortable. That means if you and I have conflict, I'm not going to pretend like everything's okay. I'm actually going to come to you and say, hey, this happened and it hurt or this happened and we need to talk about it. I'm going to do the difficult thing, which is have the honest conversation so that we can correct things and build trust between us instead of just pretending like everything's okay and maybe going back to the vault talking about you behind your back. Staying in integrity means that I'm going to do what feels right to me, what's in alignment with my values over what feels fun, fast, or easy. And I don't mean that life shouldn't be fun, fast, or easy, but I'm talking about doing what feels like the path of least resistance when we have to have difficult conversations or I have to make difficult choices that might expose me or put me in a vulnerable place, that I'm willing to choose courage over comfort. This is so important when we're building trust with ourselves. I'm willing to do the hard work and I'm willing to show up in vulnerable and courageous ways over just what's comfortable. I'm willing to look honestly at where I might be holding myself back or where I need help or where things just aren't working. I'm willing to get out of fragility. I'm willing to get out of shame and out of fear or at least bring it with me and look at things honestly so that I can grow and heal. That's a big one. The next one is non-judgment. And really for me, what this means is I'm allowed to ask for help. You're allowed to ask for help without judgment. I'm allowed to ask for support from a mental health professional or from a coach. I'm allowed to not be okay. I'm allowed to be angry. I'm allowed to be human. I'm allowed to have feelings and needs. I'm allowed to take up space. I get to do these things without judgment and you get to do these things without judgment. And we build trust with ourselves when we can let ourselves ask for those things without judgment. And the last one is generosity, that we're going to make the most generous assumption. That means when we're in relationship with someone else and someone forgets our birthday, we're not going to immediately hop to the story that they don't care about us. We're going to hop to maybe they were busy. Maybe it slipped their mind. Maybe something really crazy happened in their life and they were preoccupied with that. We're going to come up with solutions. Or we're going to come up with stories in our head to combat the worst case scenario story. And we're going to approach people with that most generous story. For instance, I was just telling a story in my Facebook group, which you guys, if you're not a part of the Facebook group, please go to the show notes and go to the Facebook group. It's called Emancipate Yourself. Ask to join. 
yeah, I want you in that group. We have some great discussions over there. But I was just telling a story about something that happened on TikTok where I made a mistake on something that I've been working on for months. I've been educating myself about gender identity for months and I made a mistake looking up someone's pronouns and I used the wrong pronouns and immediately I felt myself going into these not very generous assumptions about myself and what that meant about me and my character and I was able to stop myself and remind myself my heart was in the right place. I'm a genuinely good person who made an honest mistake here. And that was the most generous assumption I could make about myself in that place was, I am a good person who really does want to be a safe place, and I made a mistake that hurt someone. I can own that, I can learn from that, and I can move forward. I didn't do this on purpose. So learning to have the most generous assumptions about others and ourselves allows us to create trust in our relationships and move forward. That is, I think, all I have for you today. And this is a huge topic. It's something that is going to take a lot of practice. Obviously, I just told you a story that happened this week. It's something I'm still working on. I never want you guys to think that I have everything figured out and I'm presenting myself to you as this like perfect guru. That is just not true. It will never be true of me. And it likely will never be true of you because we're human, we're growing, we're evolving. And we're forever learning new things and trying new things, which means we're forever going to be making mistakes and learning from them. I want you to understand that it is okay to be human, that there is so much beautiful life to live as a messy, imperfect human, that we don't need to be perfect in order to have a beautiful, wonderful, satisfying, and successful life. It's really just about learning to love and empathize with and accept ourselves and to learn to trust ourselves and from that place we can have whatever life feels most delicious to us because we'll be in tune with what we most feel passionate about and what we most want to accomplish in our life and what feels like the best course of action for us. I'm so excited to hear what you guys have to say about this and any questions that this podcast brings up for you. Please ask them at the email address that's in the show notes. It's terry at emancipatedcoaching.com. Please feel free to send me emails. I check those daily at least. I help people figure out what support they're actually looking for over there. So if you're not sure, if you're like, I feel like I need support, but I don't know exactly what would support me best, by all means, talk to me. I'm well connected with different coaches and therapists and hypnotists and sex coaches and sex therapists, people who do business coaching for people who have left religion or have you know gone through trauma of some sort. By all means, please reach out and let me be a resource for you to help you find the support that you're looking for. I am so glad that you've been here with me today and thank you for listening and we will see you next Sunday.